Welcome to Grace Abounds. I'm Pastor Jen Shaw, and in this podcast, I'm sharing my Sunday sermons from St. John's Lutheran Church, Palm Desert, California. I'm so grateful that you've joined us, and I trust that these words build you up in faith, hope, and love. You may have heard the story of a woman who lived in a small village in France many years ago. She was a nurse who devoted her life to caring for others. And after many years of kind and selfless service to the families in the village, the woman passed away. She had no relatives. And so the people in the village planned for her a beautiful funeral to honor her. The parish priest, however, said that because she was a Protestant, she could not be buried in the Catholic cemetery, the only cemetery in the village. The villagers protested, but the priest stood firm, which wasn't easy for him because he too cared about the woman. But the canon law was clear. Rules are rules. The boundaries were set. She would have to be buried in the field just outside of the cemetery fence. The day of the funeral arrived, and the mourners attended as she was buried in the field. But later that night, armed with shovels and hammers, the villagers crept into the cemetery and quietly set to work, moving the fence. Jesus moves the fence in our reading from the Gospel of Luke. After Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River in the southern region of Judea, Jesus heads back north to the region of Galilee, the area around the Sea of Galilee. And he begins teaching powerfully in the synagogues and healing people in places like the coastal town of Capernaum. And word about him spreads. And then he heads back to his hometown of Nazareth, the small village in which he grew up, where he is known as the carpenter's son, the son of Mary and Joseph the carpenter, a local. And he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and reads these words from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he takes a seat to teach and says to the people in the synagogue, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus declares that he is the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the one sent by God to free God's people from their captivity, to heal them personally and as a community to bring ultimate and lasting peace 
the Lord's shalom. The world as God first created it to be in goodness and order and beauty and will one day make it again. This is good news and all the people are amazed and they all speak well of him. Doubtless proud that he comes from their hometown of Nazareth, that he's one of them. But then things take an unexpected turn. Jesus begins to speak of prophets, men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak and enact the truth about who God is and about who we are. Remind the people that God is faithful and encourage the people to be faithful to God in response. Comfort people in their suffering and confront people in their sin. Call on people to live rightly, live well, live as God, our creator, redeemer, sustainer, intends. Jesus says to the people in his hometown that prophets are not accepted in their hometown. And there are examples throughout scriptures, throughout the scriptures of prophets who were rejected by their own communities, including Jeremiah, who is called by the Lord to speak God's word. And he is encouraged by the Lord to speak despite his youth with this promise, do not be afraid for I am with you. And then Jesus continues speaking to his own people, the people of Israel, the people in that synagogue on that Sabbath day, that there were many widows in Israel during the time of the prophet Elijah, when a severe famine spread throughout the land, but Elijah was sent to none of them. Instead, Elijah was sent to a widow in Sidon, a Phoenician, a Gentile, a foreigner, for whom the Lord miraculously provided with a bottomless jar of flour and a bottomless jug of oil, saving her life and the life of her son. And Jesus continues, there were many people with leprosy in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but Elisha was sent to none of them. Instead, Elisha was sent to the army commander Naaman, a Syrian, a Gentile, a foreigner, whom the Lord healed when Naaman humbled himself and dipped seven times in the Jordan River. Jesus declares that the Messiah has come not only for his own people, the people of Israel, the people in that synagogue on that Sabbath day, but also for everyone, all people everywhere, Gentiles and foreigners, destitute widows and army commanders, people who lived in their hometown and people who didn't. And this 
the people cannot abide. They're so enraged with Jesus that they drive him out of town to the top of a hill intending to throw him off a cliff. They don't. Jesus walks through the midst of them and goes on his way. A miracle? The commanding presence of Jesus that causes them to back down? Both? However we explain it, the time for Jesus' death had not yet come. But it would. For the three years of his public ministry, Jesus did what he said he would do. Jesus brought the good news of God's grace for all people. He brought healing and freedom and peace. He embodied the boundless, never-ending love of God for all. He ate with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well and welcomed children. He healed the servant of a Roman centurion and brought back to life the son of a widow in Nain and affirmed the faith of a Canaanite woman. He taught us to love God with our whole being and love our neighbors as ourselves and love our enemies. He taught us to love everyone. He taught us that no one is beyond the boundaries of God's love. No one is outside of the circle of God's care. No one is an outcast to God. Jesus taught us to move the fence. And this, the religious authorities could not abide. And so three years into Jesus' public ministry, they conspired to have Jesus betrayed and arrested. He was sentenced to death and crucified. He died and was buried, and on the third day rose again to life, releasing us from captivity to sin, freeing us from death forever, giving us life that does not end, assuring us, as the psalmist declares, that God is our refuge, our strength, our Savior, assuring us as the Apostle Paul declares that one day we will see God face to face. One day we will know fully as we are fully known. One day we will be made complete, assuring us that God loves us, all of us, now and forever. Nothing can separate us from the boundless love of God. Love never ends. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, a beautiful passage that is often read at weddings, and rightly so. But I caution us against thinking that Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians 13, only of 
romantic love, eros in Greek, or familial affection, storge, or personal friendship, philia. The love Paul speaks, the love of which Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape, divine love. It is, as Martin Luther describes agape love, understanding goodwill for all humans. It is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. It is the love of God working in the lives of humans. Agape love is not simply an emotion, but an intention. Agape love sees and treats every single human being as a person made in the glorious image of God with dignity and value and worth. Agape love seeks the good of everyone, people we like and people we don't, people who agree with us and people who don't people who live in our hometown and people who don't. Love is patient and kind and respectful. Love doesn't rejoice when someone fails. Love celebrates the truth. Love endures. Love looks for the best. Love trusts in God, who is love who is a divine relationship of love, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who love and delight in each other forever. As Richard Rohr writes, the Christian way is to risk the attachments of love and then keep growing in love. All of life is a lesson in learning to love more deeply and truly. And so Paul reminds us, we can have all the spiritual gifts in the world. We can have all the right doctrines and be full of knowledge. We can have faith that moves mountains. But if we don't have love, it's just noise. We can be wrong about being right if we express our beliefs in unloving ways, if we shut down or shut out someone who simply dis disagrees with us, if we preference our opinions over our relationships, if we give into the culture of contempt, as author Arthur C. Brooks describes our current divisive social climate. In his book, Love Your Enemies, Brooks offers a few tips for doing so, with which I believe the Apostle Paul would agree. Form and keep friendships with people who have different political views than yours. Don't attack or insult during a disagreement. Don't even try to win. Listen 
and engage with respect. Never assume the motives of another person. And finally, use your values as a gift, not a weapon. Our values are deeply important, and we should express them. Our values matter, but how we express them also matters. I was preaching once, and in the middle of a sermon, a man just a few pews back from the pulpit leaned over to his wife and said something loud enough that I could hear him but not quite loud enough that I could discern the words. After the service, the woman who was sitting behind them asked me, did you hear what he said? And when I answered no, she said his words were, it's really all about love, isn't it? It really is. May we love ever more deeply and truly May we share the good news of God's boundless, never-ending love for all people in Jesus Christ. May we move the fence. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're doing this every week, so make sure to subscribe. If you'd like more information about St. John's mission to know Christ and make Christ known, visit our website, stjohnslutheran.church. May God bless you on this day and in all the days ahead.